Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. You guys are looking good this morning. A little more alert than last week with the time change and everything. You guys are looking good online as well. We have means to see you wherever you're at on your couch there, so... So there's a stand-up comedian who's an Episcopalian, and he came up with the top reasons for being Episcopalian. Some of you may have heard this before. I'm not going to go through all of them, but, but here are a few reasons to be an Episcopalian, according to this comedian. Uh, first of all, you get to practice pew aerobics. Uh, second, you get free wine on Sundays, okay? Uh, another one is you don't have to know how to swim to get baptized, And then finally, he says, you know, no matter what you believe, there's bound to be at least one other Episcopalian who agrees with you. So, do you know the guy who came up with that list? There's a man by the name of Robin Williams. Robin Williams was an Episcopalian. And I don't know about you, but, you know, Robin Williams stuff, I loved his stuff. And just looking at the pictures of the various films he made kind of makes me smile. Mrs. Doubtfire, remember that one? And it's so interesting because if there's a guy who can make us laugh, we will pay him all kinds of money because we want to experience happiness. But what a shocker to find out what was really going on inside of Robin Williams, right? I think our whole nation was kind of in mourning when he committed suicide because here was this guy who just seemed to bring so much joy to so many people. And to think that on the inside he had to struggle with all that sadness kind of makes all of us sad. And you know what? It's not just him. Mental health experts say that depression is now 10 times more common than it was in the 1960s, even though we're a lot richer and better educated. But we're richer, smarter, sad people. The average onset age for depression in 1960 was 29 years old. Today, you know what it is? 14. 14 14-year-old kids shouldn't have to carry that weight. Like something is wrong. So we're in this series called I'm Good. And if you missed last week's message, I would really encourage you, go online to hillcountry.life, check it out, because it kind of lays the foundation for this series. And first of all, we talked last week about whether you're a glasses half full or glasses half empty kind of person. And I made the point that regardless of how your personality may lean, it's better for your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health to focus on the glass being half full. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. See, what Paul is saying is if you want joy and peace in life, you better focus on the good stuff, what's in the glass and not what's not in the glass. Now, last week we talked briefly about the distinctions between joy and happiness, and I said that generally speaking, happiness is a feeling. Happiness comes from the words happenings, happenstance. Happy is my feeling when something I like happens to me. And so to find in that way, happy is very fickle, very fleeting, 
because it's determined by external factors, our circumstances, other people. But joy, on the other hand, is different than happiness. Joy is true contentment and serenity that comes from internal factors, like our faith in the Lord. And so joy is not dependent on circumstances or happenstance. Joy is a choice. In fact, Philippians 4.4 commands Christians to be joyful always. So there's a brief distinction between those terms. But I also mentioned last week that quite often people use the word happiness, inner happiness, and they mean the same thing as we would mean with joy. So don't get too bogged down in the terms. Focus more on the concept of what's being talked about here. So at the end of last week's message, we began to talk briefly about something called the happiness paradox. And it goes like this. I will never be happy if the ultimate goal of my life is simply for me to be happy. It turns out that inner happiness or joy is something that only comes as a byproduct when we're pursuing something much bigger and better. And there's something way more important, way more significant than the happy life. It's what you might call the meaningful life. And there's a big difference between the pursuit of happy and the pursuit of meaning. You know, happiness without meaning becomes very shallow, very self-centered. And it's why ultimately it doesn't pay off. See, God wired us so that we will grow in sustainable joy when there's increased meaning in our lives. In other words, if you aim at meaning, you tend to get happy and joy thrown in. But if you just aim at happy, you'll get neither happy nor meaning. So if we want to reach our joy potential as followers of Jesus, we need to look at what's better than the happy life. We need to look at the meaningful life. And so today, what I want to do is I want to uncover a few truths from the book of Philippians about a meaningful life that will lead to joy. So let's dive in. The first truth is this. People, joy comes when I practice acts of kindness and generosity. Joy comes not when people do for me what I want but when I do for others what they need. There's a big difference there. That's why Paul, over and over again, the Bible refers to himself as a servant. In fact, Paul tells the Philippians in their me first, climb the ladder culture, hey, 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 guys, you you need to do it the other way around. Look at Philippians 2, 5 to 7. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Paul climbed down the ladder, not up the ladder, because that's where real meaning is found. And I'm going to say this, you and I are going to have to ask for Jesus' help with this, because for most of us, this doesn't come naturally. Most of us like to be served more than we like to serve. I can remember in the first few years of our marriage, Winnie and I moved to a different residence five different times. If you know anything about moving, it is a major hassle. Can I hear an amen to that? (laughs) Amen. Yeah, it wears you out, and not just moving the stuff around, because once you get there, you have to arrange the furniture. You have to rearrange the furniture, and about the time you think you're done with it, your wife has other ideas about how the furniture needs to be rearranged. Yeah. Here we go. Come on, preach it. (laughs) I remember uh, there there were several times, actually, but I remember one time in particular, Wendy was asking me if a piece of art looked good over there with a piece of furniture when we moved into the house. And and deep down inside, my initial response is, nah, that, that doesn't look good. Colors don't work. It's out of place. 
But then once I thought about all the time and hassle it would take to rearrange the furniture again, next thing I know, the, these words came out of my mouth and say, I, I don't know, honey, looks great there to me. Damn. Why are you all looking at me that way? <laughs> like no one here does that, right? Liars. <laughs> but there's this weird truth about us. We think we'll be happy when we get what we want. But actually, both happy and meaning have way more to do with what we give than what we get. Uh, somebody knew something about that, didn't he? A guy named Jesus. Remember what he said? It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It turns out, and research supports this, that joy is way more associated with what we give than what we get. And folks, the single most reliable activity in terms of increasing life satisfaction for people is doing acts of kindness for others. Jesus knew what he was talking about. And I want to show you a little video snippet this morning. It's, it's one of my favorites because, first of all, it challenges a deeply held notion that many of us have, but it also reinforces my point here. So even if you've seen this before, it's worth watching again. Check this out. When you give homeless people money, do you ever wonder how they spent it? Today I'm gonna give a homeless guy a hundred dollars and I'm gonna follow him and see how he spent it. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm all right. I'm Josh. I'm Thomas. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I just tried to make him up to give me something to eat. I just wanna like give it back to people. Yeah. Not gonna be that much, but. Hey, anything's appreciated. Oh, good. It's a hundred bucks here. Oh, no way. Yeah, just keep it. It's your money now. Oh, that's... Just want, you know... I, no, really, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, it's yours. I'm starting to tear up no, over No, it's that. okay. That's like incredible. It's okay, it's all right. I've never... Me, can I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I've never had... Nice meeting you. I hope you can, you know, have a good use of all that money. It will be, sir. Okay, great. See ya. Just keep filming. Just make sure he doesn't see you. Right, he just came out. What do you get? Alright, let's go across the street. Let's go, go, go. Let's go. Go follow him. Giving them food. I'm gonna talk to him. You want some potatoes too? Oh, because those are too hot for her. Thank you. Oh, hey. hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> hey, actually, uh, come here. I need to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah, yeah. I was following you the entire time. Oh yeah? After I give you the money, we were <laughs> there's a camera my camera is right there. You see a camera? Oh yeah. Do you even know them? Like No. I feel like I owe you apologies because I, I you went to a liquor store, right? Earlier? Oh you thought I was gonna get all smacked up drunk, huh? I thought you're gonna actually I thought you're gonna buy like alcohol or something. Yeah. yeah. But there's things money can't buy and, and my own I get a happiness out of what I'm doing. No, no, no. Here. I, I, I'm fine. No, you, you, you just touched my heart. You know, this is not, this, this is not 100 bucks. No, this is... What, I, 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 want, this, this, I want you to keep it. I'm stunned. I'm stunned. <laughs> I'm stunned by... I don't by know what to say. Usually I'm pretty talkative. How, how you end up to, you know, like where you're at right now? Basically, I was living with my parents and my stepdad had cancer and they were getting hospice, but it didn't cover. The insurance only pays so much. I quit working because I had to be available. And so he passed away. And uh, then two weeks later, my mother pa passed away from kidney failure. Building therein is being sold, the condo. And I all of a sudden found myself homeless. That's been like four months now. And there's a lot of people that are just victim of circumstance. And they didn't go homeless because they're late, you know what I mean? Lazy or like no. drug addiction? It or... could be a divorce and one thing leads to another and the man sells his boat, his home, everything and all of a sudden he finds out he's got no money and he's, you know, there's a lot of good people that are homeless. If you're doing good, you somehow be on a scene and you meet, bump into good people. That's all there is to it. You're, you're on a different path somehow in life. I can't explain it. Good saying, you guy. can't believe that. Just happened. Wow. Curveball there, huh? That's interesting because we can get so jaded at times. We can have the presumptions. So this week is kind of an assignment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about and find an opportunity to do an act of kindness. And just start with the people closest to you. Find something small, like it doesn't have to be dramatic, doesn't have to be costly. You know, maybe you run an errand for somebody at home, uh, voluntarily help somebody with a project at work. If you really want to have fun with this, find somebody at work that you don't get along with very well, somebody who's cranky, difficult, and just do them a favor for no reason at all. Watch what happens. You know, maybe bake some cookies, bring them to a neighbor, go visit an elderly person in a nursing home. And that'll light them up. That will make their day. Maybe you go visit somebody in jail, somebody who's hurting, somebody who's lonely. See, there's meaning in that. And then joy follows right behind meaningful service. Trust me. Second, suffering can interrupt the happy life, but suffering is powerless to stop the meaningful life. You know, I think it's really important that we pause here for a second and talk about suffering because we live in a world filled with pain and suffering, right? You can't go online. You can't turn on the news nowadays and not find suffering. I mean, just think about what's happening in the Ukraine today. And anybody who's thoughtful, anybody with their eyes open has to ask the question, with all the pain in this world, with all the suffering and evil in this world, is it even right to be talking about joy like this? Well, what's interesting is when you look to the Bible, you find this oddity of great joy right in the midst of great suffering. See, real joy is unstoppable because it's not dependent upon good times or bad times. That's why we can talk about both joy and suffering. In fact, I would say the test of authentic joy is this. Is it compatible with deep suffering? Is it compatible with deep suffering? That's authentic joy. 
You know, real joy is like little flowers popping up in the cracks of a sidewalk. You just can't keep them down. And so Paul says to the Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, that sounds easy enough, right? There are people we can think about, and man, I thank God for you. But if you flip over to the book of Acts, you read about what actually happened to Paul, what the Philippians did to Paul when he was in Philippi. Whew. I mean, he ran into huge opposition in that city. He was falsely accused. He was arrested. He was stripped of his clothes. He was beaten. He was thrown in jail, feet in stocks. And check this out. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Arrested, beaten, humiliated, stripped in prison, and he's singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. <laughs> I love that they put that phrase in there. Like, what else are the other prisoners going to be doing at midnight in the prison, right? The point is they, they could not listen, right? So right there in the midst of the wealth and the status of Philippi, two prisoners make a dungeon the most joy-filled place on earth. So how should we respond to suffering? Like, should we just say, well, then I'm just going to close myself off to joy? It might seem like it at first, but that ends up being a very unproductive road to go down. I mean, imagine a funeral where it was said of the deceased, you know, because of all the suffering in the world, she refused joy. She lived a morose, negative, cynical life. She cultivated an attitude of chronic despair and solidarity with sufferers everywhere. Yeah, that doesn't work. That's not right. You know, the best response to suffering isn't hopelessness. It's usefulness. It's not despair at what's going on. It's a determination to make a difference. You know, the best prayer in a suffering world is not God make me miserable. It's God make me useful. We can all do that. I can support and, and fund and sponsor a hungry child, and I can make a difference in their suffering. I can come alongside of a suffering friend through a visit, a card, prayer. And I don't know, maybe some of you right now are suffering deeply. You've been through a major catastrophe. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost your health. Maybe you've lost somebody you love. Now, maybe you're depressed. You know, maybe some of you listening to me right now are so deeply depressed, you're not even sure it's worth facing another day. You're filled with anxiety and dread, and it took all the courage you had just to show up here today or to watch online. And if that's you, I want to say to you that with all the stigma that's going on in the world around this, I'm proud of you. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you're watching. You know why? Because that's why we're here. That's the purpose for us as a community, as a church. Now, this isn't a place for, I've got everything together, perfect, healthy people, okay? We are all messed up. We say it all the time. We are imperfect people doing life with a perfect God. We're all imperfect. And I think everybody can agree with that, at least for the person sitting next to you, right? <clears throat> we can at least do that much. But this is a place for real people. No masks here, no pretension, no stigma. Nobody's perfect here. Just a promise that eventually meaning is going to win out. Weeping may endure for a night, the psalmist says, but joy comes in the morning. And I don't know when your morning is coming. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. Maybe it's next week. Maybe it's next year. Maybe at the resurrection, but it's coming. So hold on. Suffering can interrupt the happy life, but suffering is powerless to stop the meaningful life. Third, 
Meaning comes when I invest deeply in what matters the most, relationships with people. Outside of your relationship with God, that's what matters the most. What matters the most in life is people. People matter the most to God. People matter the most to Paul. Paul said, I thank my God every time I remember you. Again, in Philippi, Paul had all kinds of memories that wouldn't make me thankful. But he said, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Folks, life is all about relationships. Nobody has unhappy relationships and a happy life. Just doesn't happen. But on the flip side, nobody has joy-filled, meaningful relationships and a joyless life. Life is all about people. They did a study in the Journal of Socioeconomics, and they found that increases in people's monetary income level had very little impact on their happiness. However, an increase in investment in relationships, deepening connections, deepening friendships, they said was worth $100,000 a year in life satisfaction. So just to give you a very practical application of this, if after the service you want to come up to me and give me $80,000, I'll be your friend. You'll come out 20 grand ahead, okay? It's in a journal. It's got to be true. You know, Paul financially, dirt poor. Relationally, filthy rich. Here's the, here's the rich life. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Man, can we say that? You know, am I spending as much time building into relationships as I am trying to be successful, trying to make money? When I'm around people, when I'm with the people around me, do I experience joy and gratitude like that? Or how many of us, if we were honest, would write a letter that sounds quite different than Paul's? Something more like, I complain to God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, I pray, God, why can't you change her? Why can't you make him different? Why can't I just have normal, healthy people in my life? That may be the letter we would write if we were honest. There's a writer named Sean Aker, and he was talking with a tax auditor who was depressed. And they got to talking about this guy's depression, and he happened to mention that one day at work, I'm not making this up, he created an Excel spreadsheet listing all the mistakes his wife had made over the past six weeks. Yeah. Imagine his wife's response, probably now his ex-wife, when she found out her husband did a flaw audit on her. Yeah, you know, we laugh at that. A lot of us may not have a spreadsheet on a computer somewhere, but we've got it up here, don't we? Every mistake you made, I know, and that's what I think about. That's what I remember. Paul wrote this fabulous line to the church at Corinth. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Boy, that hits us, if we're honest. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Doesn't rehearse them, doesn't magnify them. It doesn't even go there. In fact, Paul does the opposite. Paul does a gratitude audit. Who are you grateful for? And have you told them? Go tell them. I mean, Paul says, I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel. You know, the whole book of Philippians is basically a thank you letter. They've been supporting Paul financially, in their prayers, in his ministry. And he's basically saying, thank you guys so much. You are partners in the gospel. You're helping God's word to get out. You're helping to change lives. You're a partner in the gospel, which, by the way, is what we are. 
And I want to stop right now and just say thank you, Hill Country Georgetown family. Because every single year we see lost people put their faith in Jesus, new people connecting to our church, growing spiritually. Every single year, year after year after year, we are hitting budget or exceeding budget. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your partnership here at Hill Country Bible Church. It's making a huge impact. Fourth, the happy life is rooted in where you are in your circumstances, like financially, vocationally, physically, so forth. The meaningful life is rooted in where you are spiritually. It's interesting, at the beginning of this letter, Paul says, to all God's people, holy people, in Christ Jesus at Philippi. That's important there. Let me say it again. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. In other words, at Philippi geographically, but they're not buying into the Philippian mindset, to the Philippian culture. They are in Christ Jesus spiritually. There's a really interesting relationship between happiness and place. You know, in our day, people pay a ton of money. They base a lot of their identity on where they live. And so researchers wanted to know, well, how much does that really impact happiness? So they did a study on this. And guess what they found out? Location does influence satisfaction in terms of weather, you know, outdoor activities, being able to engage in those, the beauty of the scenery around you. But they also found in this final analysis, it really doesn't impact how satisfied people are with their lives overall. Why? Because there is no place, there is no circumstance, there is no external situation, money, health, beauty, weather, that can bring you real, lasting, internal joy. Paul says the location that matters in terms of meaning in life is your spiritual location. Paul says who you really are if you're a believer is a beloved child of God, forgiven with a home in heaven. And while you're here on earth, you know who you are? You're a servant of humanity, temporarily residing at Philippi, at Georgetown, wherever you may be. See, it's not where you are. It's whose you are. It's not what you have. It's who has you. And if you're in Christ Jesus, what does that mean? It means Jesus is always with me. It means Jesus is watching over me. Jesus is going before me. Jesus has my back. He's working through me. He's in my corner. Now, I may be in trouble, in debt, in prison, suffering, in a hospital bed, but if I'm in Christ Jesus, I'm good. I'm good. That's the promise of the gospel. Paul says if your spiritual location is in Christ Jesus, your geographical location can be any place on earth, and your ultimate well-being is not at risk. See, here's the deal. Joy is not a feeling. People, hear me on this. Joy is not the same thing as being in a good mood. Now, the Bible never commands be in a good mood. Joy is, is a pervasive sense of well-being. Because my past is forgiven, because my future is secure, it is well with my soul. It's well with my soul. Folks, only God can bring that 24-7, 365 days a year. And by the way, that's why Paul doesn't just say rejoice, does he? No, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Big difference. Jesus said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Rejoice because it's joy that Jesus lived for. And it's joy that Jesus suffered and died for. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Rejoice, for the master of all became the servant of the world. The God of joy became a man of sorrows so that we sorrowful sinners might become children of joy. And when he did that, we arrested him, we beat him, we crucified him, nailed him to a cross. Then we cut him down and we buried him in a tomb. But get this, the tomb, which is the ultimate symbol of death, defeat, and despair, became on that third day the happiest place on earth. So we can rejoice in all circumstances. We can. Okay, next week, I'm going to give you four surefire ways to make your life miserable. All right? be a great weekend to invite your worst enemy. Just say, come on. <laughs> then I'm going to turn it around. I'm actually going to talk about how we better avoid those things in life because we serve a God who wants to bring us joy. He wants to bring every one of you here joy the abundant life. Let's pray. Lord, it's a fascinating thing, the way we chase things that we think will make us happy and joyful, and it's like chasing our tail. We just never get there. So I pray that this morning we would go after meaning, and that's doing acts of kindness and service for others. And when we do face suffering, and we will. There is pain, there is suffering, there is evil in this world. We don't have to be overcome by that. And yeah, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. God, would you help us to invest in what matters most in life, and that's people. Come alongside people who are hurting. Come alongside of people and just just love them for who they are. And God, ultimately, that we would realize we may be at Georgetown, but we are in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. That's our identity. So remind us every moment of every day to remember that, to remember who we are, to invite Jesus into every activity that we do, whether it's a meal, whether it's our work, whether it's our play, that we can just throughout the day do life with you. And God, as we begin to invest in those things that have meaning, then happiness and joy and everything else we want, peace, contentment, all that will come behind. So God, we love you. We know that we're dependent on your Holy Spirit to pull this off. And so we ask that you would help us to do that. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so this week, people, find a way to bring meaning in life. Do something, an act of service, something that's kind for somebody else. Serve somebody else and begin to engage in these meaningful practices. And then I promise you, the joy will follow. Have a great day.